Hello, and thank you for listening to this CD from River of Life Church. If you enjoy this disc, we want to encourage you to share it with a family member or friend. Also, visit River of Life this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. For service times and directions, visit riveroflifefl.com. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Associate Pastor Dr. Bill Jenkins as he teaches from the Word of God. Not only a good song, that's a good way to live your life. Amen. Well, it's good to be here this morning. Thank you for coming and being a part of our worship service today. Uh, your Bible says let it, there is a time to give honor uh, when honor is due. And uh, I just want to stop for just a moment and uh, give honor to Priscilla Lewis and the River of Life praise team. Didn't they do a good job? Would you help me honor them? <laughs> Knocked it out of the park. Amen. I am honored this morning to have several friends from Perry that just came today. I did not know they were coming. They did not know I was preaching. They just showed up. Must be God-ordained. Amen. Maybe they'll all get saved. I don't know. But uh, I'm very honored to have Brother Doyle Lundy with us. He was my minister of music for many, many years over in Perry. And just an awesome man. And I just thank God for him. He's a blessing to my heart and my soul. All right? Now, uh, our pastor's not in the building right now. He is over in the Children's Worship Center, and he's uh, ministering over there. But he told me to tell y'all, he's coming back. <laughs> okay, so you'll see him in just a minute. We have some special things that are going to be going on today. If you've got your Bible for just a moment this morning, take it and turn to 1 John chapter number 3. 1 John chapter number 3. And uh, just an honor to be here. I'm, I'm excited that you're here. Uh, Years ago in evangelism, I was preaching, and uh, I went to this church, and God just, man, I tell you what, the house was packed, overflowing. Uh, we just had all kind of people there, and uh, so they invited me to come back the next year, and uh, I went back the next year, and there was nobody there. <laughs> you know, the pastor was there. I was there. One or two people, I guess, came because they were obligated to, and I leaned over to him, and I said, uh, did you tell him I was coming? And he says, no, but if I find out who did. <laughs> I love Christmas, don't you? I I'm sorry that it came and went so quickly. I there's just so much about the Christmas story that I love. In fact, I'm going to be bringing a Christmas, post-Christmas message this morning out of the passage that is before us. Uh, there's just so much things I like about Christmas. I, I love the little letters. Have y'all seen these that children write to Santa Claus? Those, those are some good ones. Amen. I, I like th this is classic. It says, um, dear Santa, last year I didn't get what I wanted. And the year before was even worse. This is your last chance. Get it right. The boldness of a child, right? Amen. And then the, I like this one. Dear Santa, there are three kids at our house. Jeff is two, David is four, and Norman is seven. Jeff is good some of the time. David is good most of the time. But Norman, he's good all the time. I'm Norman. <laughs> Amen. You may not know this, but at one time in America, Christmas and the celebration of Christmas was outlawed. 
Uh, according to William Barrett in his work, The American Christmas, when America was young and under the direction of the Puritans, the year was 1644, Christmas had become so corrupted that a law was passed and enforced in Boston in 1659, and it stayed a law until it was repealed in 1681, declaring that if anyone found observing the pagan holiday of Christmas, they would be arrested and incarcerated. I'm glad that law was appealed, or repealed, aren't you? I'm glad we don't have that anymore. However, the true message of Christmas is not to be found in the giving and receiving of gifts, and I love that. It's not in the decorations, and, and you know, I love the decorations. I, you know, I think we ought to decorate all the time. It's not in the food, and you can look at me and tell that I love food all the time. It's not even in the family gatherings, as, as great and as wonderful as that is. The, the true message of Christmas is that a holy God loved man and gave his only son as a sacrifice so that man might have eternal life. And so this morning, I want to take just a brief moment and look at Christmas. And using the verbiage of Charles Dickens, I want to look at Christmas past Christmas future and Christmas present. And I want to do it using the passage of Scripture that's before us. You've got your Bible. If you'll open it this time, some of you probably need to turn it on. First John chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, And behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Father, we thank you for the privilege and the honor that is bestowed upon us to come and to stand in this holy place. And we realize, Father, that we are nothing. We have nothing that would be acceptable in your presence. And so we come to you as humbly as we know how, asking you, Father God, to please send your Holy Spirit and fill up the servant of God. Help me speak words, Lord God, that the ears that hear, that their lives will be changed, that souls will be saved, and that, Father God, when we leave this building this morning, we leave as new men and new women ready to face the great, great challenge of winning our world to Jesus Christ. May you be glorified by what is done here today. I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I want to begin this morning by looking at Christmas past. And it's right there in 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that, that we should be called the sons of God. This is exactly the same message that what the angels gave to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 11. For the Bible says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a little baby. No, that's not what it says. A C. 
Savior, which is Christ the Lord. When he came, he came with a mission, with a purpose. John the Baptist saw him there in John chapter number 1, and he made this statement. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God, that's, his, that's the, the, the man. And then this, which taketh away the sin of the world. That was his mission. Do you understand that the most righteous man of all the earth was still horribly lost because of his sin? According to Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3, the Bible says man was dead in his sin. Sometimes we get the idea that, you know, that that we're almost lost. That's like being almost pregnant. The Bible says you're dead in your sin. Nobody was coming by to rescue you in the last moment. You weren't sinking deep in sin, far from the people before. Sure, you were sunk. You had no hope. No life vests were coming your way. You weren't floating. You were sunk. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 verses 1 and 3 that we were walking according to the course of this world which is always away from God and was under the power and the direction of Satan fulfilling the lust of the flesh and were by nature the children of wrath. Why does a little child lie? Who taught a child to lie? Nobody. It's his nature. Who taught a child? A little bitty child in a play crib, playing with a rattler, gets mad and throws that rattler. Who, who taught that child to do that? He hadn't watched his father that long yet. It's his nature to be angry, to be frustrated. To walk away from the things of God. Verse number 12 of this same chapter says that we were without Christ and we had no hope but God. Amen. I tell people this everywhere I go. I love it when God butts in. Amen. It seemed like there was no hope, there was no... But the Bible says, but God, willing to save and to show his great love for man, sent forth his son, born of a virgin, to redeem fallen man. The message of Christmas, Christmas past is one of love and forgiveness and hope. Listen to what he says, First John 3, 1. Behold, the Greek word literally means to stop and to ponder and to think. Look at this. Behold, what manner of love is this? (laughs) You can't even fathom it that you and I, who on our best days are failures, shall be called the sons of God. Somebody ought to shout, amen? Y'all awful quiet here this morning for some reason. Y'all know we got visitors. I understand that. Just let go and let God. Amen. John chapter number 1, verse number 12. I love this. How is it possible that you and I, you and I could actually be listed as the sons of God with all that we are, with all that we know about ourselves? How could we be called the sons of God? Only one way. John chapter 1, verse number 12. The Bible says, but as many as received him to them, he gave the power. To become the sons of God. 
even to them that believe upon his name. If, a, if you took a, a time this morning and, and you did a very careful study of Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, you would find that the Christmas gift God gave in Bethlehem was fourfold. It is there, the writer, the Apostle Paul, makes this statement. He says that when God gave, he gave first and foremost his son. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. Bible says, Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8, that God commended, God sent forth, God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, he didn't wait for you to get better, turn over a new leaf, try harder. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for who? The ungodly. Probably the most famous verse in all of the New Testament, John chapter 3, verse number 16, for God so what? Loved the world, and it motivated him to give his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But not more than that, God gave a Son, but more than that, God gave redemption and adoption, and then God, the third thing, gave the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God that bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and gives us empowerment to witness and to work in the world he gave us. And then the Word of God says, Galatians 4, verse number 7, that he made us joint heirs with Christ in all things. What a Christmas gift. Amen. It beats anything I got except from him. It is the unspeakable gift that is never the wrong size. It never wears out, and it keeps on giving throughout all of eternity. Amen. That's Christmas past. I want to quickly move to Christmas future. Look at John, uh, 1 John chapter uh, number 3, and there if, in verse number 2, the Word of God says, Beloved, now who's he talking to? Talking to those who've been saved. Amen? Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Oh, don't leave the baby in the manger. Somebody say amen right there. Jesus lived on earth for 33 years. He died on Calvary's cross. He rose again and gave us the hope of salvation and the promise of John 14, 13, where the word of God said, and Jesus Christ is doing the speaking. He said, if I go and prepare a place for you, thank God, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Amen. Hallelujah. I don't know how to get there. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. This is the promise that the angels are echoing in Acts chapter 1. Jesus Christ has got his disciples. They go outside of Jerusalem. They're there on the mount. As he is talking with them, he promises them the, the assurance of power. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. For what purpose? That you might be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the uttermost part of the earth. And then the Bible says he started ascending. <laughs> I wasn't there. I'm not quite that old. But I do know what they said. They saw him go up there. Wow! Well, how do you know they said? What would you have said had you been there? You've never seen anything like this. 
And so the Bible says, Acts chapter 1 and verse number 10, And while they looked steadfastly into heaven, as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said unto them, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into the heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up into heaven, so shall come again in like manner as you've seen him go into the heavens. He's coming. 66 books of the Bible, 1,189 chapters in your Bible, and over 1,800 times the Bible says the same thing. He's coming. Kind of like my mama talking to me when I was growing up. Over and over and over and over again. He's coming. 318 times in the 27 uh, books of the New Testament. Over 1,500 Old Testament passages refer to the second coming of Jesus. It's not a new thing. Or of the 25 New Testament verses, uh, excuse me, of the 25, one out of every 25 New Testament verses directly refer to the second coming of Christ. For every time the Bible mentions the birth of Christ, the first coming, it mentions his second coming eight times. His return is mentioned in 23 of the 27 New Testament books. And Jesus Christ himself referred to the second coming 21 times. And over 50 times we are told in the New Testament, get ready, he's coming. Amen. I don't know a lot, honestly. I really don't. In fact, uh, uh, the older I get, the more I realize I've already forgotten more than I'll ever know. But this one thing I know. He's coming. One day, he'll step out upon the ramparts of heaven at the command of his Father, and he'll cry out with a heavenly voice, and those who are saved will rise to meet him in the air. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but... We know. I like that. When he shall appear, we're going to be like him. First Thessalonians chapter number 4 talks about that moment when the dead in Christ rise. And then all of us who are saved will rise to meet him. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, No more sickness. No more dying. No more separation. Living as Christ lives in the eternal. And Paul said, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I don't know what it's going to be like to celebrate Christmas in heaven. I know what it's like down here, and I love it. But I can't get, wait to get home to celebrate Christmas with the one who gave his life for me. And then, lastly, y'all know what an optimist is? An optimist is somebody that when the preacher says, lastly, they close their Bible. (laughs) I want to deal, lastly, with Christmas present. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 3. The Bible says, And every man that hath this hope in him 
purified themselves even as he is pure. Every man that has this hope in himself that we're saved, that one day we're going to go to heaven and we're going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ and we're going to dwell and, and reign with him according to Revelation 21 for all eternity. Any man that has this hope purified himself even as he is pure. According to what the Bible says, if I am truly saved and if I really believe he's coming, it ought to affect my life. I ought not to live like I once lived. I ought to not talk like I once thought. I ought to not dress like the world dresses. I ought to be living every day as if Jesus Christ could come back this moment. And when he comes, I want him to catch me ready. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 11 through 14. Several scriptures. I want you to read them with me. Second Corinthians 3. Uh, excuse me, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 11. The Bible says, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, talking about the earth, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation, that's the King James word, it means lifestyle, and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, nevertheless, we according to his promise... Look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot, blameless. Again, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 15. The Bible says, but he, but as he which hath called you is holy. So be you holy in all manner of conversation, lifestyle. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Listen. And if you call upon the Father, who without respect of persons, judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. I hear a lot of preachers preaching nowadays about how to get along in this life and prosper. And then I hear other preachers talking about this glorious thing called heaven and eternity. But they never speak much about the fact that the Bible says that there's going to be a test at the end of the life for the child of God. Romans chapter 14, the Word of God says, Be sure that one day we'll stand before God and we will receive for the works done in the flesh, whether they be good or bad. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, the Word of God says that we are all going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. But perhaps no place is the Bible more specific and plain than in the writing of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'll share it with you beginning in verse number 11. You've got it up there in front of you. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ. In other words, the only foundation that you're going to have that will take you to heaven is Jesus 
Christ. Well, what about all these other religions? These people are, are, are so committed. The only foundation that a man can have that's going to take him to eternity with God is Jesus Christ. Now, upon that foundation, you've been saved. You are to be building. And listen to what it says. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, that's all good, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. Listen to what he says. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And if any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he'll receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Listen. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. I don't know how it's going to transpire. I do know that the Word of God tells us that Jesus Christ requires of all of us who are saved that a steward be found faithful, that we come to a place in our maturity that the things of this world no longer enamor us and distract us and, and, and get us off course, that we have fixed our eyes upon the cross and that we're marching steadfastly toward the end of life where we will meet our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But in the process of getting from where I am to where He is, I've got to live in this old vile, polluted world. And in the process of living down here, I'm not supposed to get wrapped up in the world. I'm supposed to be separate, holy, and the Bible says, a living sacrifice. And then it goes so far to say, this is the reasonable service that you offer to God. Now, I know some people, they, they say, well, preacher, I, you know, I don't live like I should. I know that. God help you for ever saying that. Just as long as I'm saved, just as long as I get into heaven, just the darkest corner of heaven for me. There are no dark corners of heaven. Somebody wrote a song one time, just build me a cabin. Over. There are no cabins in heaven. Amen. When you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and, and he reveals your life from the time you got saved until the time you went to heaven, and you look back all across that life, and they're manifested by the fire. He who knows your heart tries your life. He knows the motivation behind everything that you do. And there's nothing. All his works, the Bible said, are burned up. Not one soul with which to greet him. Must I meet my Savior so? All my life lived in pursuit of the things of this life and none of the life to come. I know some people, they, they said, well, preacher, just as long as I get in, that'll be enough. Really? 
Wonder what it's going to be like because you haven't lived for the Lord. You haven't lived a godly life. You've allowed your wife and your children to see you, but not as a man of God. You've held on to that thing where you claim Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. In fact, you know that you have been saved because the Holy Spirit of God bears witness with your spirit that you're the child of God. That's scriptural. But you not live for the Lord. And the day comes, we're out of here. We're raptured. First Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going through the beam of seat judgment. We're laying all of our life before us. But your kids are not there. Your wife's not there. They saw nothing in your life that made them want your Jesus. And as you stand there before the holy God who gave his only son to die for you, the destination of your children and your friends and your co-workers that you could have had an influence on for eternity is sealed. Preacher, that's tough. The Bible's tough. A lot of times we would want the milk. We don't want the steaks. But I tell you, dear friend, it's the steaks that help you grow. But that's up for the saved. If I'm truly saved, I know that one day I'm going to stand before him. But before that day, I've got to live this day. Brother Billy, I've got to live for him. I've got to talk to people. I've got to win people to Christ Jesus. And sometimes that means I've got to get out of my shell. I want to be honest with you. I've been sitting in the office over here at the church. There's very few lost people coming there wanting to be saved. Imagine that. I've tried to win cut to the Lord 25 times. He keeps telling me he's saved. If I'm going to win anybody to Christ, I'm going to have to get out of my shell and go where they are. That's the reason Jesus said, go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Get out and get in the work field. Get out and get in the, the, the play. Well, preacher, you know, they don't like us when we go talking about Jesus. <laughs> Jesus said, they didn't like me. And if you really stand for me, they won't like you. Christmas present. For those of you who are saved, live for the glory of God. Live every day so that if, if he comes, hallelujah, praise the Lord, amen. Go to see him with a smile upon your face. But those of you that are here today and you say, preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. I, I'm not sure that I, I even know what salvation is. I came to church because they told me that I needed to. <laughs> Let me tell you what happens, according to your Bible, to someone who is not saved if the rapture occurs first thessalonians chapter number four and we're called out in a moment in the twinkling of an eye the bible says that day's coming as a thief in the night those are saved that day should not come upon you as a thief in the night because you are the day you're not of the night you should be looking and expecting but those who are not saved that day comes in a moment and you're left behind in fact, the Bible's so emphatic about this, it states that there's more left behind than there are that is taken. You got scripture for that? I'm so glad you asked. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. In fact, the Bible goes so far to say that, that there's a great many pretenders. Matthew chapter 7, verses 20 through 23. 
they're all going to be left behind. In fact, the only people that are truly going to heaven are those who are truly saved. Well, preacher, how, how do you know if I'm saved or not? Only one way. You can't ask your wife. She doesn't really know. You fooled her on a lot of stuff. <laughs> if she knew you like God did, you probably wouldn't be married. No, we're not going to say that. All right. <clears throat> how do you know if you're truly saved? Three times the Word of God makes a statement. It says the Holy Spirit of God is on the inside of you. Bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. Amen. I asked Brother Henry one time, I said, Brother Henry, you think I'm saved? He said, no. <laughs> no, he didn't. No, he didn't. It wouldn't do me any good to ask him that. The only person that can tell me if I'm truly saved or not is the Holy Spirit of God telling me, bearing witness with the fact that I'm saved. Would you bow your head with me, please? Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.